What's up, y'all? It is Jason Watson. Welcome to Say That to Say This. You know, we shoot elephants in the room. We have great conversations, great discussion. And today we are excited to have a special guest. Josh, I'm going to kick it over to you, let you introduce our guest. I mean, it doesn't really need an introduction. Let's True. be real honest. True. But True. Uh, we are lucky enough to have Tashara Jones, the city treasurer, here with us, uh, among many other things. So thanks for uh, being willing to hang out with us for, oh, uh, for a few. Thank you. I'm excited. Good, good, good. So, uh, so a couple of things that, that we want to talk about uh, today, uh, specifically uh, at this podcast, one of the things that, that we really kind of prided ourselves on is being willing to have some hard conversation, right? To begin to talk about uh, what's taking place in our city, what is working, what is beautiful, what needs to be celebrated, uh, and at the same time, like what are area, what are other areas that we need growth in. And so we come to this from a perspective of uh, both Jay and I being a part of Mission St. Louis, the work that we've done for the last uh, 11 years. And so to have you sitting here with us mm -hmm. with this legacy of what you, uh, the work that you've done and, and the impact that it's had on our city, it's just going to be, uh, it's, it's an honor. Great. Well, sure, do us a favor. How sure. about you start by telling us your story? How did you yeah. end up getting involved in this work? Wow. Uh, what gave you the passion that you have for this work? Mm -hmm. Um, just being an African-American woman in this space. Mm -hmm. So just talk a little bit about that. So I have a secret for you. Uh -oh. I never wanted to be a politician. Oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, I'm what people may call a reluctant leader. So, mm -hmm. you know, my father was a politician. He was former controller of the city of St. Louis, Burvis Jones. Mm -hmm. um, followed his career. It didn't end on the greatest note, obviously, with him going to federal prison for uh, eight months. But... Uh, sometimes there are things inherent in your DNA and your genetic makeup that you can't control. Sure. Very true. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, so you was running from it, probably. I was because you know the quickest way to make God laugh is to tell him what you would never. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, to give him a contract. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I became a Democratic committee woman in 2002, mm -hmm. um, and then just went up from there. I became a state rep in 2008, uh, and I had to be asked. You know, this wasn't something that I just was like, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. going to wake up and do mm -hmm. it one day. Um, women typically have to be asked, mm -hmm. and, and black women have to be asked multiple times <laughs> uh, because this isn't work for the you know the, the faint of heart. Faint right. of heart, absolutely. This, right. this is a contact sport. Absolutely, <laughs> and ain't no equipment. Right, no equipment, <laughs> no equipment. But I have been blessed to have a really great mentor and advisor in my father, mm -hmm. and some other very good mentors or great mentors uh, of uh, other black women in this work, like Darlene Green, like mm -hmm. Sharon Tyus. Uh -huh. um, who let me ask stupid questions um, about being a black woman in this space. Hmm. Um, and there's no such thing as a stupid question when I'm talking to them, yeah, right? Um, and they've been able to guide me through this work and, um, and I've been able to build relationships and, and, and build a legacy in this position that hopefully my son one day will be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure he already is. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like just the process of having mentors and going through the process of learning and having individuals pour into you. What would you say to other African-American women who are entering into that space, who have a desire to be in that space? What would you say about the level of humility that it takes? You, you just know. took the words right out of my mouth. It mm. takes a certain level of humility. Mm. Uh, and there was a time when I thought I knew it all. We um, all do. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, it takes that mentor mm. to grab your coattail or at this point, your skirt mm -hmm. <laughs> and say, hey, you don't know it all. Absolutely. And let me teach you a few things. And you have to be humble enough to know that you don't know it all and to mm. receive that. Yeah. Because I also mentor other women as well. And, Absolutely. I, and I do the same thing. Hey, um, I think you should have done this a little differently. Mm -hmm. This is what I would do next time. And I, and I talk to my protégés uh, pretty frequently mm -hmm. about, you know, what they're working on, what they're doing. 
the microaggressions that they uh, sure. uh, run into at, at work, you know, being a black woman being at black work. Absolutely. Um, and so you have to, uh, you have to, you know, definitely be humble, but also uh, be a little sure of yourself as mm -hmm. well. You know, know mm -hmm. what you know Talking and stand that. on that. Know your value, know yeah. your worth. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. That's yeah. good. So That's as good. you... As you've gone from the state, as you have come into uh, back into the city, what what's driving you? Why why so much persistence? Why so much endurance? Like, what is it behind that's made you so great at at, at what you've done? I want my people to be free. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and especially, you know, when I deal with financial empowerment, I, um, uh, Ambassador Andrew Young says, if you don't know the financial system, you are an economic slave. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know especially uh, minorities we just haven't gotten the memo mm -hmm. about how to uh how money works yeah. you know how to save it how to understand it how to grow it how to manage mm -hmm. it and that's the mission that i'm on because um i also have a statement that there aren't too many things that money can't fix right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely money. it's a great right. tool can't mm -hmm. fix and so because because i lead with that i lead with you know you see that in my policies my all of my employees make at least 15 dollars minimum wage or more um we have financial empowerment initiatives going mm -hmm. on in the city uh, we're teaching children as, as young as five years old the value mm -hmm. of money and how to grow yeah. it and how That's to awesome. save for mm -hmm. things down the down the road Absolutely. That even though college is only is 13 years down the road it gets there quick because my son is 12 now and i'm like mm. wow he'll be gone in six years let's not talk about it let's right. not talk about it like i'm in the same boat like how did uh, this happen right right i look up and i'm like wait a minute he's oh, this is 2020 he's class of 2026 yep. lord and that Man. that those six years yeah. are gonna fly by like the first 12 did so you know just trying to teach people how to be prepared at all times and that again no question is a stupid question when it comes to your money right the interesting thing for me like growing up in the inner city i'm from walnut park born and raised i love the city yep i'm from I walnut park too oh, okay okay <laughs> northwest did you I, go to northwest i didn't go to, i went to herzog oh you went to herzog yeah. okay okay i went to beaumont high school yeah. Yeah. I kicked out of Beaumont. I ain't gonna tell y'all. So I get lost in the weeds here. But the interesting thing is growing up, I don't remember having conversations about what it means to invest money. I don't remember having conversations about what it means to have a budget, mm -hmm. right? Um, even thinking about more than one stream of income. How right. do you make that happen, right? So it's important, I think, even in our households for that to be a trend of how we engage with exactly. our families, right? Encouraging our kids to have bank accounts early. Yes. You know, encouraging our children to save money, don't spend it. Right. You know, um, right. and those are the little small things that allow them to learn how to manage and handle their money mm -hmm. as they get older. But if nobody sits down and has that conversation with you right. you typically become what's going on around you right or simple mm -hmm. things like when i pull up my credit karma and, and my son is sitting there he's like what's that i was like mm -hmm. well, this is mommy's credit score Absolutely. and this determines how much she's going to pay for everything that she does yeah right this is why it matters and the highest you can get and mommy's is around 800 but i worked really hard to get it there and these mm -hmm. are some of the you know trials that i had you know, Speak to, to this. In, in the African-American community, primarily a lot in the inner city, people are afraid of banking institutions, yes. right? We don't trust banking institutions. Number two, we hear statements like, don't ever get no credit. If you get credit, don't. So how do you speak to those things to crash some of those stereotypes, some of the thoughts right. that, that are associated with 
with credit, with banking. You know, you'd rather put, I had a good friend of mine say, man, my money more safe in my house under my mattress than in the bank. See, and, and we learned those lessons generationally. Mm, very so true. if grandma or abuela kept her money in her mattress or her or bosom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My grandmother, God rest her soul, Medea would pull out twenty dollars, oh, you know. <laughs> and a pack of cigarettes. Right. <laughs> all in there. I'm like, how does she keep all of that yep. in there? But yeah, we learn we learn our habits from our fifty percent of us learn our habits from our families, Very from true. our parents, and uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. So my mother used to take me to the bank with her every two weeks to deposit her paycheck, mm-hmm. and then she would take me with her to the grocery store, and I would see how she would you know pick things up and you know compare prices, and I would also go with her when she went to pay her bills. Yeah. So I knew that you know if you can't um, mail your your check in on time to uh, Amron UE or, or Union Electric or, you know, Lickley Gas at the mm-hmm. time, you could always go to Schnucks, <laughs> to the customer Absolutely. service desk yep. with your check and pay your bill. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, so those were the lessons I learned. And then my dad taught me about investing. Mm. Um, so, you know, those were the lessons that I learned coming mm. up. And uh, and and it's, it's unfortunate, but we're trying to break that stigma. And then also the other generational curse is the failure of the Freedmen's Bank. Mm. Back in uh, 1876, mm-hmm. uh, there was a bank, well, shortly after slavery ended, Abraham Lincoln founded a bank for freed men, freed slaves, called the Freedmen's Bank. Mm. And that was specifically for freed slaves. We dumped all of our money in it. Um, and about 10 years later, right after, um, after Lincoln was assassinated, the bank failed, and we lost over $50 million mm. of wealth. Wow. Just from the failure of the Freedmen's Bank. Wow. So that was that generational yes, lesson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, great, great, great grandma mm-hmm. maybe had money in the Freedmen's Bank. Yeah, it failed. It. They lost their wealth. Yeah. And so what's the lesson? Don't trust banks because they will fail. Right. Wow. Right. Okay. Right. Wow. So, so you're in the process of reshaping that narrative. I mean, yes. there's a piece of, of, of what we've watched through. Uh, the college savings through the financial empowerment system that you've spent mm-hmm. uh, a bulk of your career really beginning to shift that narrative. Mm-hmm. So, uh, will you talk about some of the some of the, the yes. pieces and some of the tools that you've used to do that? Yes, absolutely. So, we created the Office of Financial Empowerment in City Hall, uh, Room Two Twenty. Uh, sh- shout out to my <laughs> staff over there. Come through. Come through. Uh, don't be afraid because it's in City Hall. We will not arrest you. Okay. Okay. Uh, because there, you know, there is a stigma absolutely. when coming in City absolutely. Hall, right? Um, uh, the the guard at the desk or just to make sure that you don't have a gun so don't bring a gun but come on down see us Um, and I've started that because uh, the statistics uh, especially with black people and money and banking were horrible Um, over uh, 30% of us were unbanked or underbanked Mm -hmm. um, which means that uh, even if we had a bank account we were still using predatory services and if we didn't we're using the corner store the gas station to cash our check And that's crazy expensive, right? Twelve hundred dollars or more a year if you don't have an account. Um, and so I would, I would also talk to all of the banks that the city does business with mm-hmm. and push them to do more. What are you doing to, uh, to directly affect the sure. statistic? Sure, absolutely. And then the next frontiers, we're looking at home loans, right? Home lending. Uh, and when we look in North St. Louis and mm-hmm. we look at all of our bank partners um, or the banks that the city does business with, they little to no lending mm-hmm. north of Del Mar. And I live north of Del Mar, right? right? Um, so what are we doing to, what are you, what are you doing to change that? Do you have products 
that you can t give us flyers about and we can go and, and take those out in the community. And make sure um, people are aware. Right, right. Because mm -hmm. we have credit counselors on staff and we can help you there. Um, but also, what products do you have? Right. Right. Um, and then also our children's savings account program, which is in its fifth year. Yeah, thank you. My, my child's a part of it. Hey! <laughs> so every kindergarten student in the uh, in St. Louis in a public school or charter school uh, gets a, a children's savings account open in their name. And we load it with the first $50. And they can watch that account grow through match savings, uh, parents' wow. participation in financial education courses, or uh, good attendance. Yeah. Mm. So let's let's shoot the elephant in the room as this sure. as this begins to happen, right? So there, there's a piece that that narrative is shifting. Uh, there's a piece that I think when we look at our life's work, when we look at what's taking place through Mission St. Louis, we know that um, income matters. But what we're not after is just someone getting a job. What we are after is this idea of building wealth, right? Yes. So we we look at personal transformation, walking through these doors. Do you know that you're loved and that you're mm -hmm. cared for? Do you know that your passion and your skill set has this workplace value? But now you got money coming in, right? Mm -hmm. So when we begin to think about what do you do with that money, what are these tools, uh, and then how does that get, uh, how does that play out in our community? When we think about like what the economic development ramifications are for our city, mm -hmm. what do we dream for those to be, and what can happen as someone comes through? They get that college, uh, the, the savings mm -hmm. account, right? The, the opportunity for long-term career. That is beautiful. We want to see individuals begin to be empowered uh, through financial mobility, but we're also, I think the beautiful part about that is how we're doing this together, what mm -hmm. we're dreaming, what, as this becomes realized, what happens to our city? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the next frontier is, yeah, the first frontier is, you know, stable employment, mm -hmm. get a bank account, right? Mm -hmm. yep. The next frontier is home ownership and asset building. Why is that so important? Uh, because the great American dream also tell, always tells you that you know, we should, our assets or our wealth comes from our homes. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, only 40% of African Americans in this country own homes versus 70% mm -hmm. of white Americans. Um, and we are also told that our wealth is, hold, is held in our homes. So, but our homes don't appreciate in value the same way. Right. The same way. And uh, I just recently did a TED talk about this. And the stories that I talk about are the stories of my grandfathers. Uh, because if you're white, your grandfather got the GI Bill, bought a home for like $10,000 right after the war. Mm -hmm. And then that home appreciated in value. And then he handed it down to your, to, to your parents. Right. Uh, that and then they were able to sell that and get some more value, mm -hmm. you know, obviously get some more wealth, mm -hmm. take out a little bit to send you through private school, <laughs> and then um, sell that other house again. And, you know, they're sitting on, you have a six-figure head start. Absolutely. Just Absolutely. because your yep. grandpa bought a home in the right place after the, after the war. Absolutely. But my grandparents, or my grandfathers, for example, because women couldn't buy houses back mm -hmm. in the day, but we won't go there. Um, you know, my grandfather was a, my grandfather, my mother's side was a butcher. He bought a home in the fifties. And soon as black families started moving into that neighborhood, all the white families moved out yeah. and then it, and it depreciated. Then my grandfather on my father's side was a painter, a union painter, but couldn't get a job in St. Louis. It wasn't until East St. Louis elected his first African-American mayor that he got a job in his field. Mm. Um, and moved his family to East St. Louis, then bought a house in the late 1960s. Okay, interesting. But um, that house that my grandfather bought in the 50s was destroyed by a fire, so no wealth to pass down there. 
And then um, after my grandfather died, my grandmother wanted to fix the house up, but no bank would lend her money to fix it up, even though she could afford the payments, right. because banking practices decided that my neighborhood or her neighborhood was not worth was not, investing yeah. in. Yep. That's interesting. So there's no wealth to pass down through generations like white families do with home ownership. So that's the next frontier. Yep. How yep. do we even the playing field yep. for home ownership for people of all races so they're able to hand down generational wealth? Yeah. That makes me think about a documentary I had the chance to see about Clayton. And I was not familiar with this. But oh, the black families yeah, that used to live in Clayton? There used to be a yeah. large African-American community mm -hmm. My mother's Clayton. best friend was one of them. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure many listeners and watchers may not be familiar with this, but they use zoning laws to push African-Americans out of that community. That was before Clayton became as affluent as it is now, but everybody knew the trajectory is. of where it yeah. would be. Sure. And um, so in doing so, not only did African-Americans no longer have access to the same level of education, but they also didn't have access to uh, what would come along with home ownership in that particular community. So it just mm -hmm. makes me think about that reality and how once those families were forced out, we know what Clayton has become now. You can find a home in Clayton for a million dollars. You know, so right. had those families who were living in that area been able to remain in that area, they would have had wealth that they could have passed down. But not just financial wealth, but also educational wealth. Yeah. Because we right. owned our own schools, we owned banks, we owned all of those things in the Clayton community. Right. And most mm -hmm. people are completely unaware of that and the impact that that has on generations coming after. Or the impact that redlining has. Absolutely. Right. Because we all know the Del Mar divide and mm -hmm. how homes north of Del Mar are worth much less than home south of Del Mar. Mm -hmm. My father and I live three blocks from the Del Mar Divide, right? He lives on Cap Cates, I live on Cabinet. And he built a, a huge, wonderful house and it can't appraise out at the right value mm -hmm. because we are three blocks north of Del Mar. Right. Wow. Right? Right. <laughs> so, um, and it's and it's ridiculous that if he goes five block, if he moves that house five blocks south, right. it's easily worth a million dollars. But what's more important that I think about is the individuals that are willing to stay in these communities, that buy homes in these mm -hmm. communities, mm -hmm. they choose to stay in these communities because they love, the, they believe yes. in the communities. We yes. know the value and the beauty that exists in mm -hmm. these communities, but it's like you're being penalized for being an individual that's willing to stay, pay taxes in that right. community, own homes, right. own homes in that community, and then it's like I'm being penalized for being willing to stay right. when everyone else that makes the choice to leave mm -hmm. for the sake of safety or whatever reasons they may right. have right. it seems like that they gain a benefit from leaving so essentially it almost encourages individuals that are in that community to leave, to leave that community. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah it does yeah i think that's the hard part too because we've we've experienced gentrification right mm -hmm. so we were once on the south side we, we were now uh, on the north side of our city and, and and we're beginning to see that as we watch individuals go through our program mm -hmm. that i mean we there's countless numbers of stories that we could talk about where mm. somebody comes comes through get this job bust it three years four years mm. now it's like hey like one i've stabilized my housing number two like I, I i'm growing in in my job and we're watching as you get to a certain area of financial stability that that okay now do i get out right and mm. so so that's part of this narrative but i want to ask you a question sure. Josh, because you kind of had a flip, a flip situation um so you moved into what some would know as the dark side yep. right at the time um, on, in South St. Louis prior to it gentrifying, yep. right? And just being a white guy from Louisiana with a wife and kids yep. moving into that area. Um, what was that like for you? 
Um, what were some of the things you heard from other counterparts that maybe thought you were crazy for choosing to move into an environment like that? What was that like for a white guy? Um, so we had just gotten married and we moved here. We were and almost got divorced when you chose to make this decision. So we <laughs> literally had to write had to write letters to our, our family like of why this is important, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and so I, there's a couple things, right? There's uh, you know. In this line of work, in this neighborhood, uh, there's this idea of like um, white savior, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, a huge piece, right? I mean, like you're just coming to tame sap. So we were constantly like fighting against um, this idea that like relationship matters over over anything, but can't be naive to the fact that like we're a white family in a predominantly African American community, uh, and so that just it took a really long time, right? Of, mm -hmm. of building deep trust uh, of spending a lot of time. And, and there's some moments that uh, over that five-year period before we saw all of this uh, transformation take place uh, where uh, a couple, two things really happened. One, um, the ways in which deep, deep, deep community was beginning to be formed in the way in which we got to look out for one another. Uh, I would say I grew up uh, just like you guys uh, had communicated. I came from a very uh, middle-class uh, neighborhood attached garage you roll up into the to the house you hit that garage all your friends are distant nobody you don't really know who's around you right and so there's this separation of any type mm. of relationship well my move into the city became like and my best friends live around like there was so much like being able to understand what community was and then this this uh i need you you need me mm -hmm. that began to form is was so beautiful um and then you know honestly as, as we've watched what's happened over the last five years many of our deep, deep friends and have been forced out because they rented, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so rent astronomically goes up or big development uh, pushes right. in. And that's been the really difficult thing is to mm. sit in the midst of um, a community that I love dearly and watch it change so rapidly. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Mm. It's devastating. Yeah. And we're not fighting. I don't think we're fighting against the desire to have uh, people from different groups, ethnic backgrounds to exist in the community. I think we're really pushing against individuals coming in while at the same time pushing community, long-term community members out as a result of whether that's taxes skyrocketing, right. um, things like that. So, But it's shaped the way that we do, that we think about everything from here on out. I mean, there, there's a piece that there, there needs to be this deep sense of mourning. Mm -hmm. There's also a piece that I would say the desire for and the way the way that it shaped our outlook of what we do at Mission St. Louis to say like ownership like mm. ownership like the, the truth is if we look at what's taking place in our country there is a reurbanization that's happening and Absolutely. taking place and we want that to happen but as it happens you need to benefit from this exactly. generational home Absolutely. ownership that as our neighborhood changes the the ownership is what allows you that that equity that ownership right. is what allows you also I would say that voice, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, we, we I, I say this a lot, right? Like in uh, West County, they wanted to put some uh, lights up at a football field and the entire community was like, no, you're gonna ruin our peace at night. We don't want lights on. It's gonna disturb all the environment. And this wealthy community shot down this football field and them having uh, uh, games at night because they wanted to put these lights up. Here in our community, 
if you don't have that voice, that ownership provides this commonality of like, right. this is what we want our neighborhood to look like. This is what I want my city to look like. This is the policies that I want to see happen and take place. That, that, that does come. Everybody has a voice. Yes, you need to use your voice. But I think ownership also provides another layer of that to, to, for, for our neighbors to begin to say, hey, this is the place that we want to live in. This is what we want it to look like. And how you advocate for that matters but ownership's really got to be at the at the pinnacle of that. It's interesting to sure hear it say that to say this. We talk a lot about the narrative, right? That can exist in the city. We know the picture that's painted. Um, we know also the energy that's existing in the city right now. I'm sure mm -hmm. you feel it. I feel it. I'm mm -hmm. excited about it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm praying that I'm alive to see the culmination of it. But can you speak to the narrative that you're seeing? play forward right now? Like, what are you excited about? What has your energy turning? What do you see in the city that has you, like, continuing to run? The days where you feel like, I don't know if what I'm doing is working, <laughs> right? If I should, I don't even know if I should speak up today. I have those days too. We all do. Yeah. What is it, what's, what's giving you that energy right now That's that you're question. seeing in the city? So, as on, on, on the drive over here from downtown, I, I, I take the back road, so I took, you know, uh, 13th up to natural bridge and I'm looking at housing stock. I always take time to kind of look around and I see the potential, right? And I think that's what get, keeps mm. me excited. The potential, not just for the stuff that's going on downtown, the potential for things that are happening north of Del Mar and mm. parts of South St. Louis. I see how we can craft policy for at, for when these neighborhoods come back that helps people who are already here to stay mm -hmm. and yeah. not get driven out yes. because of increased rents yes. or increased taxes, right? Um, and, and those are the things that I'm sort of forward looking at. And then, do you have what, any unique ideals that you would throw out about that? Oh gosh, I mean, it, I, I'd say magic wand. Right? <laughs> if I had a magic wand, uh -huh. um, I would take uh, a, a portion of the city's reserves and, and, and maybe talk talk to our pension plans around the area to invest in North St. Louis. If you take down like mm -hmm. maybe $10 million, you can use that to to pull down much more money out of the, the bond market, for example. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a real revitalization and, mm -hmm. and investment project in North St. Louis and parts of South St. Louis that haven't seen any right. development in years. And, and that includes, you know, uh, that includes it's it's a whole it's holistic so it's mental health it's substance abuse and making sure those resources available mm -hmm. um, it's uh, financial empowerment it's job training it's looking at the trades it's you know what are we doing to put together a strategic plan mm. that puts people at the center yeah. mm -hmm. right Absolutely. Uh, and gives people everything that they need to thrive and for their families to hand down generational wealth. Absolutely, that's good. So, so speak. Well, maybe we'll, we'll we'll begin to wrap up on this. Speak to speak into what we're doing. Uh, what are ways we're we're in this nonprofit space, and there's hundreds of nonprofits in our right. city. There's uh, listeners that live in our community that also live outside of our community. If you begin to just coach us on what we need to be thinking about, how we come alongside some of this vision yeah. that you've just laid out, where do we play? What do we need to be doing? And maybe what do we need to be doing better? I think that there's a real opportunity in the uh, real estate development space mm -hmm. for. Uh, the people that you come in contact with for your develop your your ex offenders right yeah. 
uh, teaching them the, the tools of the trade on how to mm. renovate and then own property and own rental property yeah. and then you know build their own empires mm. and that's how I see this happening um, in, in, in other communities. That's a good point because uh, we didn't even begin to, I mean, we, we probably yeah. hinted at it, but there is this natural evolution from like ownership to like business ownership as right. well and beginning exactly, to... Exactly, exactly. And, and they, these guys have transferable skills, right? They sure. we're, we're telling guys, you've been selling drugs for the last 30 years of your life. Oh, you, you know, know how to operate a business. You know <laughs> exactly. Supply you know chain. Marketing. marketing. Exactly. You know finance. You know Absolutely. all of that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, you guys hold a special place in my heart because, you know, as I told you, my, my father was incarcerated and so mm. I truly believe in second chances Absolutely. and third chances and fourth chances. Absolutely. Uh, because we all don't get it right the first time right, but you know what are we re you know what are we returning to and and mission st louis is there to provide a helping hand and a hand up for those who are like you know what this isn't working for me i want to try and do something yeah. different mm -hmm. um so you always have a friend well, in me thank you thank you mm -hmm. and we don't see where individuals are we see where they can be yeah. right um because yeah. there's no reason i should be on a podcast talking to you about this i should be locked up forever mm -hmm. But I'm here. So mm -hmm. when I see individuals, I'm like, man, I, you got something in you. Yes. You just need to recognize it. And we need to help the world see it as well. Absolutely. And it's going to be a hard push. But if you continue to fight, like there's a way to make it through. So Absolutely. again, thank you for joining us. We yes. really appreciate your time. Thank, thank you for you. the work, your leadership, um, you. your investment in women in our city, your investment in men in our city, but just your investment in our city as, as a whole. We really appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, and I would say too this, like the, I think the, the, one of the beauties of this is just that that idea of you're not alone, right? So if you're in, if you're in that position where you're living in our city, you're you're worried about credit, you're worried about banking. Use this financial empowerment center at City Hall. Uh, room two twenty. Room two twenty. Come through. Uh, but thank you for your work. Thank you for for all that you're doing. Thanks on behalf of my family for what you've done for uh, for our kids too. But uh, this was this is incredible. So thanks for your time. Thanks well, guys, we're wrapping up. We want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you again to our special guest, Tashara Jones, and all. Also, guys, when you say that to say this, make sure you got something to say. Holla.